Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click, the e-commerce podcast for brands looking for their next growth opportunities. If you're interested in improving your conversion rates, average order values, and customer lifetime value, head over to customerswhoclick.com where you can find all our previous episodes and get in touch if you'd like to learn more. On deck today is someone who knows the ins and outs of conversion rate optimization, Ben Labay, CEO of Spiro. In a world where decisions are driven by data and results, how can CRO teams and agencies ensure they always have the backing of decision makers? Ben is here to address that and so much more. We're going to unravel how teams can effectively showcase the return on their efforts, uh, discuss if CRO should solely be about you know, direct ROI, and delve into other critical aspects brands must consider when assessing the true value of a CRO program. It's time to get Ben on. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hi, Ben. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind to just give us a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and how you've got to where you are today? Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to join Will. Uh, my background, I've been about five years, seven years, five to seven years running or leading Spiro. It's an online experimentation testing company. That's what we do every day, all day, is standing up A-B tests, scaling A-B testing programs. Before that, I was in academia. Uh, I did make kind of a career leap from academia into this world, working for this agency doing this work. But even in academia, I was doing a lot of data work, using data to help uh, stakeholders make decisions. So a lot of decision science type of work going on. I'm here in Austin, Texas. I was at the University of Texas as a, as a staff scientist. Had a friend in this world, Pep Laya. He was doing some work. Yep. We were family friends. We started talking and one thing led to another. I started working with him and then for him and then you know now running the agency as CEO. Uh, I'm three years running as CEO. I am also pretty hands-on uh, as a practitioner. I do still to this day okay. run a testing program as a strategist, a quite large testing program. And so I do get my hands really do dirty, have weekly meetings, propose tests, read out on tests every week. Uh, so I, I do, I still think about customer intent, you know, how to motivate, how to reduce yeah. friction, all those types of things. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, I guess with experimentation, then like, what was your process? Like, how do you get customers clicking? Yeah, I think the biggest lever I think is motivation. So you have to, you know, match intent with something that, that gets them kind of interested. I love motivation more than reducing friction. It's the matching the offer. So message testing, a lot of a lot of work helping users describe themselves as well, I would say. So matching that intent and the motivational kind of anchors with kind of micro questions and micro conversion type of work to get them a little bit further down the funnel and things like that. I enjoy that as well. Well, motivation is the big lever, right? Like you, if you're not motivated, if you are motivated, you'll go through all sorts of friction, right? And so that's the key yeah. is just to crank up motivation. Yeah, I think the, the way I kind of look at it is a, a lot of the reducing friction we've referred to as anxiety piece is it still tends to be more like ticking, you know, checking boxes on a list, right? These are the pieces of information someone needs to know about product. But even if you tick all those boxes... If they're not motivated, there's no real reason to buy it. Yep. Whereas, like you say, with, with certain products, someone might be willing to go without some of that information if they're excited about it and they're thinking, you know, this product's really going to change my life. Yeah. I think the motivation is, the way that I look at it is it's sort of unidirectional in a way. It's really clear 
if you have the motivation, you will go forward. Whereas friction, it's less clear. It's multi-directional in a way. Like you can use friction to in the, in the opposite direction. You can have healthy friction. You can have steps, additional steps or additional questions, or you can reduce the information on a landing page, for example, that you might think causes friction, but actually gets them to focus on the motivating pieces that, that'll make them go forward. So friction is a little... It, it's fun to play with and it, it, it's fun to think about, but it's a bit of a suitcase term in terms of how you might use it or how one might use friction or not use friction. Yeah. yeah, I do think it leads to a few best practices, you know, things like reducing the number of fields in a form, which is not always the right totally. thing to do. kind of depends on what you're selling and what and, and why people need to fill in that information. Yeah, yeah. One thing... We, we we want to touch on today is like kind of ROI and and getting buy in from decision makers to actually run CRO programs. So, w- w- what's your approach to that? How would you advise, or what would you be your advice to brands as well? I suppose. Yeah, I think I love talking about ROI, and I guess uh, maybe about four or five years ago, actually, I'll give a lot of credit to Ton Wessling from Online Di- Dialogue. He did a course for CXL at one of his earlier iterations of it, and he introduced this concept of, of effectively a power analysis for a website to, to think about considering the sample of the data that's there, what, what are the type of effects that you're looking to get? And then if you can you know, get that effect, 2%, 3% on the transaction rate, how might that, you know, if you connect that to AOV, how might that affect revenue? And so it was a simple analysis. And I've been using, you know, for four, four or five years, we've been like... You, you know, using that and leveraging that simple analysis more, getting more sophisticated with it, with a lot of our programs. And I love it. I think that it's been a huge sales technique, you know, in talking with organizations and and be like, hey, let us help you with your testing program. We'll show them this. And like, this helps us stay honest with ourselves. This helps us not test too small of a test, not test too big of a test, you know, because there'll be wasted uh, time there. You know, it helps us stay honest as a program and it helps us kind of keep our eye on the prize, like not test where we're not supposed to, et cetera. It's the where and the how and that, and it's to your point, the ROI, like, like speaking to the revenue, like connecting to the revenue, like where are you testing? How are you testing? Keeps just the eye on the prize and it aligns everybody. There's nothing like, you know, a dollar symbol or the equivalent to align teams across silos, right? If you send out like, hey, I got this test, we got this learning, and it equaled this dollar, it's people will, will, it'll catch their attention. You have to follow it up with the customer learning. The customer learning is huge. It's massive. I don't want to relegate that. But in terms of keeping everybody aligned and on point, the ROI expressed in, in dollar figures or, or m- money figures, so to speak, is the key. I love it. Yeah, I think it's really important. You know, we always talk about the, you know, what are the next steps? What have we learned from this? How did the result of this test relate to our hypothesis and the research that we've done? But at the end of the day, there's always that dollar value that clients want to see, so they can think, cool, that's that's what we think this is worth to the business. Yeah. Just to touch on that a little bit more, because I know there are quite a few ways of doing this. We normally talk, talk about monthly incremental yeah. revenue and leave it at that. Mm. I know some brands are, well, some agencies are big fans of saying, this is what this is worth over 12 months for you, which I think is probably stretching it a little bit. 
for me to give it a 12 month ROI. I agree. Yes. I, like, yeah. Had you approached we, that? We stick to monthly. If you go longer than that, you're kind of modeling on top of modeling and it's a little bit dangerous. You know, our, I think our job is what we're trying to do in a single AB test is take this amount of uncertainty and bring it down to this amount of uncertainty. And then, you know, and we do that with a model. That's, that's just, you know, this AB test is a model. It's a guess at the sensitivity of the question. And so, so we're bringing it here. And then to say that this effect is going to like go through time is another model in a way. And it's just a little bit, a little bit dangerous. I think there are certain types of tests that lend itself well to the persisting that effect persisting, you know, it's a lot of UX tests. The, the effects will probably persist, but generally they don't. And I think that's not a very healthy way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And in terms of like showing this ROI, is that very much just the test data? Yeah, I think, well, I think there's two or three components of it. I alluded earlier to Tom Westling's analysis that we've started leveraging as an agency. We call this a test bandwidth analysis. And it, it, you know, look at all your pages, look at all your swim lanes, consider the data that's coming through, the visitors and the number of conversions that are coming through. If you are to get in an effect, if you are to run a test for so long, how, what, what would the effect need to be to reach some level of significance, right? And so before you're even standing up a test, you say, if we do a test here and we run an A-B test for four weeks and get 5%, it's this much money. So before you run a test, you can get a potential revenue, uh, you know, an estimate for a month, you know, a monthly gain. And that helps you, if you've got a portfolio of, of tests to consider, it helps you prioritize, right? Among this portfolio, yeah. right? Let's, you know, I've got these 10, but these three are really where the money is in terms of the estimated effect. Let's prioritize these to solution and push forward on. So that's step one. And then step two would be, you know, you run the test and you say, well, this was what we estimated the revenue to be. This is actually what we, what we saw, what we discovered. And, you know, not all tests are, are meant to get that revenue gain. Some tests are, are there to, to mitigate risks. Some tests are very exploratory and they're meant to be customer research as an A-B test. And so what we're, there is a spectrum of, of research, exploratory versus validation focused type of, you know, testing. And, and I think the ROI type of testing is on the validation sides. So you have a potential solution and you're validating whether it's going to work or not and work better. But they're, so we're not really talking about more of the exploratory kind of stuff that's meant to be a little bit more customer research or customer generative type of type of research, if you will. So, but those, that, that yeah. first step and the second step of, in terms of using ROI, using that language, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I think it's a, yeah, probably a similar approach. There's certain tests where you're expecting a revenue impact from this. And so you can measure that and report on that. And then other tests where there's probably not going to be a direct revenue impact from the test, but you're using the test to determine whether something else you want to do might have an impact on revenue. So for, for one of our clients, they wanted to set up a B2B side of their website because they, you know, they knew they were getting B2B customers on the actual e-com side itself, but they wanted to set up an actual like account manager sales process. And so instead of just diving into it, hiring some salespeople and, and pushing people into a, an actual account setup process, we just tested out a quick form on the website, which said, you know, if you're a B2B customer, it was something like if you're a B2B customer yeah. or a business customer, contact us for 
special prices, something like that. And it was just to prove, would people actually get in touch and would the people who get in touch be actual business people? It'd be relevant. Once proved, which it did, it was cool. Now you can go off and hire these people and start building out a bit of that process. Yeah, totally. I see a lot of that in testing on the spectrum of like sales-led growth function, you know, function versus a product-led growth function and how you balance those two. Right, you know, you know, get a customized demo with our sales rep versus, you know, try the product now. There's a lot of organizations that are introducing product led to, you know, they they've historically been sales led, but let's, you know, get this kind of flanker brand or, you know, smaller brand up and then let people kind of go in. And how do you do that and potentially, you know, lower the demand from or lower the pipeline for your sales reps and, and how do you balance that? Strategic testing. I mean, I, I really love this. If you're introducing new products, if you're introducing new growth functions, if you're introducing kind of if you know new ways to purchase for adjacent customers and things like that, you're not necessarily. This is more of the exploratory research type of use for A/B testing. It's and so you're not looking for direct ROI, direct you know dollar signs on that type of work. With that's a little bit more exploratory research work. Yeah. I suppose it could, it could be things like SaaS, SaaS pricing plans, yeah. right? All all those people who want to, who are eligible and, and are fit for a free plan, you don't want them getting on demos with your salespeople because it's just a waste of their time. So try and push them into the free plan and make sure that the people who are a fit for that's for the high end, you know, the enterprise level plans have a reason to actually then contact the sales team. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's they the customer can have a reason to contact the sales team but i I mean i love this problem we do a lot of this work i I love those SaaS pricing page for for testing it's sort of the heart of a SaaS business model is like is that page like that's the business model of of a a SaaS company is the pricing page so how they position the packages how they message all that kind of stuff i just love testing and i would say you know it like as you mentioned, the PLG versus SLG approach there, they're going to have different kind of time to close as well. And so you can test around like how, where are your quick pipelines to close? Because irregardless of conversion rate, the, that pipeline and how quick you can push somebody through a pipeline and close, if you cut that by a third or half, you've, du- you know, if by half, for example, you've doubled your revenue for that pipeline. And so that's something that people don't think about a lot. And, uh, yes, are you looking at when when you're testing? Are you considering those kind of downstream metrics as well? Yeah, you get rather than just you get the Salesforce data back into GA, connected with the, the testing tool. You understand that whole progression, um, MQL to SQL to you know the, all every company has their own language of, as they go through the sales yeah. stages. But eventually, to closed one, and then you can look at pipeline efficiency, you have the MQL to SQL ratio as a metric in a testing program. Like you stand up a test and you look at that efficiency metric, like what's the ratio? Actually, I would also say just to circle back to the ROI side of it, you know, I, we talked about Tom Wesseling and that bandwidth calculator. I, I learned a lot from Guillaume Cabane as well. He's ex-Facebook. He's now an advisor. He, he was ex-Drift as well for a long time. He's Segment, I believe. And he he advises a lot of com- companies now. He's a consultant and he stands up. He's at Ramp, I believe, right now or pretty recently. 
And he stands up growth squads and the way he works, the way he thinks about exper experimentation is a little bit outside of the box of like, I would say, well, like our industry, our industry is like a little bit okay. uh, of, a, of an echo chamber. And, and we, we think about like, you know, AB testing and science and he's a little bit more from the kind of hyper growth startup tech world. You know, you think about like drift and segment and Facebook and his background. So he's standing up growth squads. He's doing the math of like not only A-B tests, but any kind of an experiment. We can have an acquisition experiment, new channel, new this, new that. And he, I learned from him and we had some overlap and he was working with, I think, metadata at the time. And he was advising one of the clients, I think it was maybe Miro.com, one of our clients that we were working with. And he would stand up these air tables that would track all of these experiments, show the potential revenue, prioritize by the potential revenue, not only A-B tests, remember, and then kind of, you know, like let's in the next two weeks, let's sprint on 30 experiments and then see what's working and let's float around and, and think about the, these types of things. So I think that's another piece of, of the pie that I'm really enjoying working with. And it's a way to get innovation into like this growth like A-B testing world, you know, I think we get stuck in these ruts of being kind of scientific a little bit too often. Yeah. yeah. So just looking for like other areas for growth for a business and just like applying a sign, a bit of a scientific experimentation mindset to like how do you approach new channels? I think it's still a, applying a scientific, you know, data literate mindset to this, but it's applying it in, in some other areas. Let's do some SEO experiments. Let's do some acquisition experiments, things like that. Like let's broaden how we do experimentation, where we're doing experimentation. Let's take our language to other teams and move faster. And yeah, so it's a little bit of that. Yeah. I think it makes sense, even from a quite a high level process point of view, really going into something with a, you know, with a hypothesis and saying, you know, we want to launch on this new channel. Why do we think we should launch on this June channel? You know, what's the data and research that goes into that? How are we going to test this? And you know, what's our approach going to be? How long we're we going to run it for? How much budget are we going to put in? What do we see as success for this? I think it's really important. You know, I know of one company who was it late? Yeah, it was last year. It's about a year ago. Spent about ten thousand dollars on TikTok ads in a week, mm. and then gave up because it didn't work for them. And and that was it. And it was like, well. What were you expecting to get from this in a week? Just throwing that money at it. You know, there's got to be some sort of a strategic approach to it, really. Yeah, that strategy, as you say, is the, it all comes down to that study design. Because in that case, for example, in that TikTok ad, maybe it was well designed, but, you know, is the metric they were looking to affect coming out of that week long, you know, 10K little romp, was it sensitive enough? to show an effect, you know, in that time, considering that, that, you know, the calories that, that were spent. And so that's where data literacy comes into play. I think, like, I think it's so easy to say data driven, but I really prefer the data literate kind of, are you setting up your question and collecting the data, your data collection methodology and analysis methodology? Are you doing that in a way that's going to that's going to allow you to make a sound decision? You no. Know, is the data sensitive enough? For you to see changes yeah. in it. I think it, yeah, if you've never run a channel like that before, yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't really work if you just give it a go. Mm. 
And I know, you know, you mentioned the whole like hyper growth startup sort of companies where I think it's really easy to get the impression that they do just move quickly. They jump on things and they get it done. And if it works great, if it doesn't work, they move on. But I think that misses that there is actually a lot of thought and process that goes behind how they approach these new opportunities. You know, I think in e-commerce, we see a lot of brands just pick up on new channels that pop up, new apps. And and a lot of the time it just gets installed because they, they see it as that new opportunity, that shiny object, and they just go for it. But if they're not measuring anything. I think, I mean, you know, how do you know the impact? These hyper growth startups, there's, I just posted uh, last week about this one that I work with right now that, you know, I don't know if you call it an experiment, but they worked for two years with personalization and just recently sort of, I, I don't want to say they gave personalization up. They they really shifted strategies on in terms of, of how many calories they're putting into it. You know, giving up a really big personalization tool with a big budget, you know, that was over 100K a year on just that tool budget. They gave up the third-party enrichment platform as well that sort of helped support that as well. That was, I don't know, 50K plus, almost 100K plus a year on just that. And so... And some other things too, just the calories that, they're, that the internal team is, is spending on those campaigns, et cetera, now shifting over to some other types of work. So a big shift in strategy. There still is some you know, personalization going on, but not at that same level and a lot simpler. And they're just putting calories in another area. So I think that you can, in these hyper growth startups, I, I see a lot of smart people using data to make decisions like that. And again, you, don't, you might not look at that as an experiment, but I think that the ability to make those types of decisions is reflective of what we're talking about here, like using data to make decisions and so on. Do you think, could you kind of retrospectively turn something into an experiment? So let's say you've launched that personalization program, you spent a hundred grand or committed to hundred K without much, without approaching it as if we're going to test this, we'll do it for a year. You know, when you are nine months in and you're thinking, well, so if someone asks the question, what's the ROI on this tool? What are we getting from this? You know, can you run, you know, run the process backwards almost and go back to the start and say, well, what would have been our hypothesis for this? Yeah, you can. I mean, why not? I would say, why not? I mean, you're in danger of some post hoc rationalization and that kind of stuff, but sure. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I think it, it's better late than never in terms of asking like, what is the metric of success? Are we getting ROI? you know, right in the middle of it, like, let's test the personalization. And a lot of our programs that we're working with now, we're setting up audience segments, excluding, you know, just within the tests, excluding everything else, but just take that audience segment, 50% get control, 50% get the personalized experience. This is a way to test the personalization before it rolls out to everyone. Or alternatively, doing holdouts and then, you know, like a 30% holdout doing the test within there allowing that 70% to have the always on personalization stuff going on. A lot of the overlapping, like different, like segment by segment experiences going on when you're introducing new experiences on top of that, you're using like 30% of the traffic, you know, that you need some traffic to do that, but there's ways to actually test. And if you're in the middle of it and, and you want to start asking those questions, it's better late than never. I think if you look backwards at data, you know, if you look over the last year, especially if you're in like B2B enterprise, we've been, that, that industry has been in a bit of a recession 
for about a year now. And so if you look at the past year, you implemented personalization a year ago, it wouldn't look good, right? You see, there, there are some dangers in that sort of longitudinal way of looking, but... Yes, yeah. yeah, so it seemed like a good idea at the time, but now looking back on the data, you could be in danger of saying, well, that, that was a complete waste of time. Why did we do that? Because you're looking at it with, you know, with the actual real data. But I suppose it's the same with a lot of CRO research generally. You know, if you're surveying customers, doing customer interviews and things, you've still kind of got to really think about what people are actually telling you. And I think that the same idea applies when you're looking back on data. You know, if you can approach it quite pragmatically, I suppose, and ask yourself those questions and remind yourself that, you know, you are looking back on something rather than planning. Okay. Yeah, that, that definitely helps with the process. What, what else should brands be considering when, when looking at kind of ROI of testing programs? I think in my mind, it's where is that testing pro- program focused? And you touched a little bit on this earlier with regards to ex- the exploratory research side of things and the strategic, the business strategy, like testing the business strategy. I, I do think that the word strategy is often, it, it's a tough word. It's a suitcase term. It means a lot to a lot of people, but Ultimately, a strategy is a hypothesis, and and I think that testing is a great way to to ask questions and have hypotheses. And so, the the you know when you're thinking about the ROI of a testing program, the CRO programs in particular can get stuck in ruts and stuck in ditches of UI testing and you know testing small stuff. And so, the most ROI I've seen from testing programs is when you orient that program towards helping the business test its strategy. So you, you mentioned, you know, introducing a B2B signup flow or, you know, when, when programs add new products or add new channels or consider the positioning and positioning, you know, of like how it works with an adja- adjacent customer, right? So ask yourself, how are we going to grow 20? If our goal this next year, we want to grow 20% over this next year. How are we going to do that? Now the CEO, the leadership team of that organization should have a plan that they've got a business strategy and a testing program can have the biggest ROI when they're really close to that, the business strategy as well. I look at it yeah. as a bit of a Venn diagram on the on the left, you've got this business, the, the market conditions and the business strategy, the business, the competitive landscape. On the right, you've got the business customer and the customer problems, the customer opportunities. If you only listen to the customer all day, every day, you'll not, and, and you don't sort of put the customer problems and opportunities in context of the competitive landscape, what your other competitors are doing, what the market is doing. And the business strategy, because some strategy, business strategies can take a couple of years to, to answer if it's working or not, right? Like it, it depends. But if you're not listening to your customer in the context of your business strategy, you can get into problems. But the overlap there is where I think the biggest ROI for testing programs are. And, and that overlap is product marketing effectively. Getting a business has a vision. They create a product to, um, you know, their job is to, create a customer, so to speak, and they do so with a product. And then the messaging to the customer is, you know, is how it sort of speaks to the problem and problem space that overlap there is yep. product Yeah, I suppose some of that motivation pieces are exactly. earlier, getting that in there. 
yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that I've found I found quite difficult is is persuading uh, clients that they can maybe not A/B test certain things, but approach things with a CRO mindset and an experimentation mindset. So launching new products, you know, the number of times that either a client of ours or just another business that I'm speaking to or, or networking with just will just launch a new line of products, and that's it. And that's the approach yeah. to it. And there's no there's no testing at all to it. It's just I would say that is a test. It's just maybe the in your mind not the most op- optimally designed test. <laughs> but shipping a new product is a test. You're putting something out there that's that new, and you're seeing what happens. It's just not an A/B test like we call it. So I think calling those things tests is I, I'm finding them help healthy to to move the leadership and towards the conversation that I think that you're looking to have with them of like, Hey, our CRO program could help us with regards to shipping this new thing. Um, so, and it, yeah, it doesn't have to be a B testing, but I, I guess when you're shipping a new product or launching a new line, at least having that, you know, what is that measure of success or what is, at what point do we make that decision to, to scrap it? going forwards. I remember what one of the businesses I worked at before I started Customers Who Click, it was a, a gambling company and we were looking at international launches and we were looking at a kind of KPI gateways basically. Mm-hmm. So if we were trending too low at certain times, can't remember how long, it was like four, eight, maybe four, eight and 12 weeks. We might have been a little bit longer than that. But if we were below the line at these three checkpoints, then the website would get scrapped. Mm. If we were trending, kind of, if we were running down the middle, it was okay. This needs to sit with the launch team a little longer, and we'll tweak things, we'll test things. And if we were above the line and we're um, going through the kind of the good gateways, after whatever that third gateway was, we would hand it over to the operational team just to manage that website ongoing. Mm. And I thought this was just a really good approach to it of saying you know, this is kind of how you can run that experimentation mindset to launching something new. You know, having those kind of goals in place, and if you know if you're launching new products on an ecom website, you could probably benchmark those gateways to some other products that you've got, and say, well, you know, if we're selling, you know, if the what's the rate called? Is it buy to detail? Well, if you you know, if, you, if the view to buy rate is more than thirty percent lower than some of our other other products then we scrap it mm-hmm. if it's between these two numbers then we need some work and we you know we need to tweak this and if we're above it then we're, we're doing really well i mean i still say keep testing and things there yeah. but you know you're good and you've got something solid there yeah i think that the key of what you said is the you're going into that with the sort of decision tree in mind right i think that if the biz, like going back to that business strategy thing if we're gonna introduce this new product or this new website or whatever you regard and, and it might not do as well as our previous, but it opens the door for XYZ opportunities down the line, then we're just we just must do it. So so that's a scenario versus like let's try this, see if it works. And if it doesn't work, we scrap it. Those are two different kind of things. And and the the, the latter is what you're talking about, which is explicitly asking a question and collecting data at the same time. So you 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 said specifically you know, well, let's monitor this, and if it's doing like, like as well as our other product, then then we'll keep it. If not, then we won't. And so it's that's the question, 
Is it doing as well as that other product? And then the simultaneously you're collecting the data. And so this, that's the key, by the way, I think a lot of people miss the principle of what A-B testing or not A-B testing, what experimentation is. And it's about that intervention where you ask a question and collect data simultaneously. So it's like data, the phrase that I like is it's data that you do. It's not data that you see. So if you're using big data, if you're looking at analytics, you're, it's just data that you see. It's all in the past. But data that you do asks the question and collects the data simultaneously. And, and when I hear you talk about that like architecture of the question, I can hear that like, oh, you're asking the question and collecting data simultaneously. So this is an experiment. Right. Yeah. But a little bit of a pedantic kind of soapbox <laughs> thing for me, but like, I really like the principles of stuff and kind of geeking out on principles and data that you see versus data that you do is one of the, I don't know, it's a fun principle. It speaks to like yeah. hierarchies of evidence as well. Like, you know, data that you see is a lower hierarchy than data that you do, like more of like a randomized controlled trial over and then up top is like a meta-analysis of those types of things. And there's, there's classic examples of that. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Uh, just before we finish up, have you got maybe like one final kind of bit of advice, a bit of CRO or experimentation related? In fact, actually, before we ask that question, mm-hmm. it's just one thing I really want to, t- I want to touch on quite quickly because I know there's a bit of talk about it in, in our space. Is CRO the right term for it? Because I noticed you used experimentation that's the term quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people use CRO, but it feels like there's a lot of, when you say CRO to a brand, they have a very, they have a clear idea of what they think that is, which is normally A-B testing. Yeah. I think it it can be the right term for the right person. I, I think CRO as a channel focused, like we're looking to stand up some A-B tests to, to drive revenue. That, that's a perfect term. And the whole industry, especially in the e-commerce space, of people that know that term, that are used to it, that will hire agencies to do that type of work and they're looking to get ROI. And that's fine. That's a legitimate use of, of that. But there's a whole other industry. There's, incl- you know, with its own set of tools and set of practitioners that don't call themselves CROs or conversion rate optimization. In fact, they actually, there's some of them and some tools that I know that try to distance themselves away from CRO. And to be more explicitly experimentation, and these this is there's a lot of work going on in product teams as opposed to marketing teams there or data teams and then things like that. So I think CRO is a fine term. I think that if you know if, if you're an agency that's focusing on e-commerce, like direct to consumer e-commerce, you should be using C- the term CRO, and you're going to be you know th- that's what these groups of businesses think about a lot of like how can we buy ads. And then convert them better, and that's exactly what they're thinking on. So you shouldn't be using the term experimentation. So it depends on how you're using it, where you're using it, the goals. I think CRO is very channel and revenue focused, whereas experimentation is a little bit broader. It encompasses process, encompasses business questions, exploratory research questions, or a little bit more explicitly, things like that. Yeah, I suppose it, it comes down to knowing your audience, knowing what they want how they talk about things yeah. uh, and, and what they're trying to get some, from something. Yeah. Make them click, right? Like, yeah. So like the, I yeah. think in our industry, there's a lot of like practitioners that work for e-commerce brands that, that get a lot of pressure to get wins. And it's, 
it's easy to like complain or, or say like, it's not only about revenue wins, it's about learning about the customer. It's about not you know, that if you were hired to get wins, you have to get wins. Like if, if <laughs> like, that's it. It's about, it is about money. CRO is about wins yeah. in my opinion. So it, I think that it's easy to kind of back up and not want to, or to, I don't know, call yourself a scientist when you were, were paid to, to make money. In a way. Yeah. And I, I think it works if you have that iterative approach, yeah. right? And if you can say to someone, you know, okay, this test wasn't a win, you know, it didn't generate more revenue, but this is why we think it didn't work. This is the interaction we saw with this test. And so we're going to make this change and we're going to rerun this test with this version and when now we're expecting a win. That kind of works. But yeah, if you just run 10 kind of random A-B tests and the majority of them were losers and you haven't got that ability to say, well, this is what we think happened. This is what we want to do next. And this is why. Then you end up having to speak to a client who's unhappy because 20, 30% of your tests are winning and they see that as a really bad thing. I think ultimately CRO has led us down the route where marketers are more and more, we act like economists as opposed to just marketers that go on our gut. So we're economists are more accountable, more numbers driven. They track it. We're, we're more systematic. This is the key to it. I think is you, you, your marketer as an economist is a good metaphor. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, cool. So yeah, just before we finish up, then have you got one final kind of CRO tip for the audience? One final CRO tip. I would say, I mean, I, you hear a lot of like focus down funnel type types of things. And I love that one. I always think about that. I always, I, we talked about pricing pages, SaaS pricing pages, for example, go to the heart of the business model of test there. I think that, you know, if it's on e-commerce, it's product page and pricing is really key. Shipping is there, shipping insurance, pricing, the way that you know, subscription is right there, stay there and stay there for a year. Don't move, right? If it's SaaS, pricing pages, that is the heart of the of the product strategy. The positioning of the packages, the sort of architecture, the, are you product focused in your language? Are you solution focused in the language? Focus there. That's my tip. Just focus right there on the heart of, of the business. It's what it's, we know, if, especially if, you, if your program is all about making money and that's what you've, like you said, if that's what you've been hired for, then that's where tests need to be run. You know, at least initially, I think late down the line, you can start to branch out a little yeah. bit, run some of those more kind of exploratory tests. But uh, yeah, the money is what matters really. Well, that, I think the money is what opens the door for conversations about those exploratory tests. Yeah. So. Awesome. Thanks so much. If anyone wants to reach out and find out more from you, what's the best way of doing LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. I post there almost every day. I try. I, I have a lot of like conversations. I look at it as kind of a community forum. So yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, yeah, Ben. Thanks, Will. There you have it, a a fantastic conversation with Ben there. Uh, We've unpacked the intricacies of CRO, delved into the nuances of ROI, and highlighted the importance of continuous support from decision makers. Takeaway, CRO is more than just numbers. It's about understanding its broader impact and effectively communicating that value. For a deeper dive into Ben's insights or to explore what Spiro has to offer, please be sure to connect with him on LinkedIn. If you've got any feedback, questions, or thoughts on today's episode, suggestions for future guests, drop me a message at willacustomersyouclick.com or on LinkedIn. Stay tuned for the next episode featuring Ash Samwawala. We're going to be discussing the impact of UX and design in CRO, but until then, keep those customers clicking. Mm-hmm.